the second reading is um, page 938, Mark 15, 33 to 41, page 938. The death of Jesus. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabbathami, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a reed, offered him a drink and said, Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. When the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom, when the centurion, who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, this man really was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they would follow him and help him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. This is the word of God. Uh, good morning to you all. Um, my name is Tawanda Ifovinmet. Uh, I'm one of the student ministers uh, here at Church by the Bridge. If you're joining us, um, you, you have found us in week four of our series, One Question for God, where we've been asking our community and even our church to ask a question that we have uh, for God. And over the past three weeks, we have looked at uh, a number of questions. So we've looked at the uh, question of uh, why does Christianity cause so much violence and, and anger? Why does, what does God say about climate change? And last week, we were looking at is God anti-women? The talks are available online, and I commend them for you if you haven't been able to join us. Uh, you can go online and listen to these services. And today, friends, we are looking at this question, if God is good, why do bad things happen to me? And as we begin, before we get into God's word, uh, please join me as I pray, asking God to help us and to speak to us this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is sufficient to train us, to rebuke us, to correct us for all righteousness. Lord, this morning, may you train us and rebuke us and teach us as we hear your word. Amen. All we have to do is uh, live long enough and suffering will come. Some of us here this morning are coming from a period of suffering in our lives, a period of pain and grief, we are just moving on from that. Some of us, as we speak, are right in the middle of pain and suffering. Maybe key relationships in your life are not working well as you would want them. Maybe your body, your body is not working as you want it to work. Maybe some dreams you had for the future have just crumbled in front of you. So as we speak, some of us are right in the middle of suffering. Yet for a number of us, suffering is ahead of us. Suffering is coming. 
It could be days from now. It could be months. It could be years. But friends, the bottom line is if we live long enough, one way or the other, we are going to suffer. And it's from that place of suffering we turn and ask this question. If God is good, why do these things happen to us? Friends, this is not a question that is just a philosophical question or uh, a question that is asked in, in theological colleges or universities or in debates about religion. It is a question that comes from a heart that has experienced pain and grief and suffering. A heart that has seen death of a loved one, severe disease, relationships break down, shattered dreams, or even severe poverty. And as we start, I want to say there are no easy answers to this question. And I'm not going to promise to give you easy answers to this, to this question. You see, many times, well-meaning people have come to people who are suffering, and they try to help them, and they just give trivial, easy answers. See, some of the things that people say to people who are going through pain, someone may say, it could be worse. I've heard someone saying that, oh, it could be worse. Someone may say, oh, I know how you feel. Friends, at times you don't. You don't know what they are going through. The variations around their suffering may be so different to yours. And for you to come to them and say, oh, I know how you feel. At times it doesn't help much. Or even sounding more biblical, you can come and say, you know, all things work for the good for those who love the Lord. Yes, it's in the Bible, in Romans chapter 8. But at times you have to work out what to say at what time to people. At times what you just need to do is to be with them, sit with them, cry with them. Or even just love them as we've just heard this morning. Cook meals for them and not say much. Friends, this is a hard question, but the Bible does not shy away from it. It takes us to the heart of the question. It takes us to the root cause of all pain and all suffering that we see in our world today. But to get to the heart of the issue, we need to dwell with the question a little bit longer before we start answering it. And we need to do that with our Bibles open. But friends, it is only when we understand how big, how dire the situation is, that we are going to understand how fitting and how greater God's solution is to the problem. So we're going to start by looking at how big the problem is. But as we start, I don't know what exactly you're asking when you ask this question. <coughs> because there are stories behind the question. When someone's asking, if God is good, why do bad things happen to me? There are stories loaded behind that question. And there are different stories for, dip for each of us here. So I don't know your story behind that question. So you could fill it in your own way. If God is good, why this has happened to me, or why this is happening to me. But friends, for me, this takes me to the year 2000. It's now 17 years ago when I asked this question. You see, our little village where I come from, Rusitu village in the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe, it was struck by Cyclone Elin. 
And apparently there's a lot of information on the internet about this. I didn't know this until I came out of the village. There's information about this cyclone Ellen, that hit our village and houses and bridges and telephone lines were struck down. And a week or so after that, I was at home with my two sisters. My mother had been staying with my dad in the nearby town of Shipinge, about 60 kilometers away, with my dad, who had been in hospital for over six months, admitted in hospital. And on the Sunday of the 28th of February, I still remember so vividly, uh, my nephew walked up to our house. He had been walking the whole night because, because of the cyclone, there wasn't public transport, so he had to walk all the way from that city to the village where we were to bring to us the most sad news I'd, I've ever received. That my dad was no more. And pretty soon the whole village was gathering at our house. That's what we do uh, in Africa, you know, when funeral happens, you know, everyone comes to your place. So the whole village was at our place uh, for a couple of days. And as people started going away, I stayed behind thinking, but Lord, why did you do this? Or even why, why now? You see, I was only 15 years old, and my dad was the only breadwinner in our family and also in a, uh, in a bigger extent uh, to other members of our extended family. Why him? Why this way? Why did, this, why, 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 why did this happen to us at this time? You see, your story may be different this morning, but I think the questions somehow are the same. We're asking, why now? Why me? Why this way? Why this problem? Look, just after this other one, I've had another problem, and now I'm in, in the midst of another one. Friends, I cannot promise to answer the specific questions of why me, why now? Why this one in particular? But the Bible takes us deeper beyond the personal questions. It gives us the reason for all the pain and the suffering we see. See, the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 that the word God created was good. It was good. We hear that so many times. So in Genesis 1, verse 31, for example, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Evening came and morning, the sixth day. Friends, the word that God created was very good. But it doesn't take much for us to see that the world of Genesis 1 and 2 and the world that you and I live today, they are different worlds. Even with the best medical systems or the best job or even the best house or a wonderful family, somehow pain and suffering still makes its way to us. And it is in those times where we ask this question. If God is good, why does he allow these bad things to happen? But friends, we've seen that God created a perfect world without suffering in Genesis 1 and 2. But then we, we had Genesis 3 read before us. And we got into the story when God was pronouncing judgment. But what had happened is we, the first humans, we representing us, they've rejected God. We have rejected his rule. We have chosen to live a godless life. And the result is that has been read before us in Genesis chapter 3, 
Come with me to verse 16. And he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children in anguish. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to Adam, because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce stones and thistles for you, and you eat the plants of the field. You eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you return to dust. Friends, we can see from this passage that because of our rebellion, because we rejected God, we rejected his rule, we decided to be our own rulers. This has come upon us. Our relationships with one another are broken. Our relationship with the creation that God gave us are also broken. And this is because our most important relationship with our creator is also broken. Friends, we have rejected God. And what we get now is a test of life away from him. And this is why we look into our world and we see brokenness everywhere. We see brokenness in our workplaces. There are relationships broken down in our families. And again, maybe we personally see this in our own bodies. But friends, the relationship between sin and our suffering is not that simple. We can't just then go around and see, oh, you are suffering. Oh, you are a very big sinner. Or maybe you sin more than everyone else. It's not that simple. You see, at times we go through pain and suffering because we have made bad decisions or maybe because of actually sin that we do, maybe drug abuse, at times can lead to illness or even death. But in some cases we suffer, maybe not because of our, of our direct sin, but because we live in a sinful world where other people around us are sinning and sin is being done to us. And even it gets more complicated when we read the Bible because we see that it doesn't give that simplistic relationship between our suffering and sin. In the book of John, for example, in John chapter 9, Jesus was walking and he met this man who was born blind. And his disciples asked Jesus, you know, teacher, rabbi, whose sin is it? Which has caused this man to be born blind. And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. You see, it's a bit more complicated than just, oh, you are, sinning, you are, you are suffering. Oh, it's because you are a sinner. That's why I said we can't give simple answers. But again, in light of that, in Genesis 3, we are told that at the bottom of it all, at the root of it all, it's our sin and our rebellion which, re which leads to brokenness. But friends, God is still in control. He achieves his purposes despite our sin and despite our suffering. In the case of the blind man, Jesus is saying God's mighty works, God's glory will be displayed through this suffering. At times, it is in the place of deep pain and grief that we actually see God's power and glory. At times, it is through those times of pain that we are taught to trust God and not to trust ourselves. And at times it is in the time of pain that we evaluate our lives. But friends, today the question is, 
if God is good, why does he allow this to go on? Why does he allow bad things to come to me? Why doesn't he bring an end to all suffering? Surely if he's good and if he loves us, he is going to do something about it. And I want to say today, yes, God is good. Yes, God is loving. Yes, God is powerful. And he has done something about it. And my second point is a solution more fitting than we expect. A solution more fitting than we expect. We expect. Friends, if we are part of this problem, if the brokenness we have in our world is because of our rebellion, our sin, it means if we are asking for God to come and deal with suffering and remove all suffering, we are asking him to come and remove us because we cannot have people who are sinful in this world and not have suffering. So if we want God to end all suffering today, it might mean you and I being removed as well. But friends, our God is so good and wise that he does something even better than removing us totally, straight away, now. He's done something more, more, more radical. He's done something that is unique and something that is surprising. He's done something that sets apart Christianity from all other religions. Friends, our God has joined in our suffering. That is not something that you find in other religions. Most gods stay up there and they look at their creation and they command what is supposed to happen. But our God, the God we hear in, we hear in the Bible, he comes down. He joins in the midst of our suffering. He participates in our suffering. And we see that in the Mark passage read before us, in Mark chapter 15. Our God became man. He became part of his own creation. And he suffered with his creation. So in Mark chapter 15, I'll read from verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole world until three afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, our God became man in the man Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was betrayed by people closest to him. He was ridiculed by people passing by when he was on the cross. In this passage, we hear him crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, I want to challenge you that Jesus' suffering is the most severe suffering that any human being has ever experienced or will ever experience. And it's good to know that in our times of suffering, that we worship a God who has suffered more than any other human being will ever suffer or experience. Why is that so? You see, when you and I suffer, we are sinners. In some way, we deserve pain. We deserve punishment because we are sinful. But Jesus was sinless. He's the most perfect man who has ever walked on our earth. Yet he suffered. No, he was perfect. He was God, the one who created the universe. Yet he came and he suffered at the hands of his own creation. 
we, we don't understand how that feels. And we will not understand that because we are not him. Friends, God understands pain and grief and suffering because he came into our world, he participated in it, and he suffered even the most. So maybe you are here and you are asking this question, if God is good, why do bad things happen to me? Because maybe of great loss of someone close to you, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Losing the closest, the most perfect relationship that there is in, in the Trinity. Maybe you're saying this because of unfair treatment, maybe at work or at home or somewhere. Jesus knows what it is like to be unfairly treated. He was a perfect man, deserving, if it was someone to deserve good life because of his perfection. It was Jesus. But he suffered like, and died like a criminal. Maybe you're asking this question because of betrayal. Your partner or your friend or someone close to you has totally betrayed you. Jesus also knows about betrayal. His closest disciple came to him and kissed him that day to tell the enemies that this is the one. He was betrayed by one close to him. Is it sickness or pain? Christ was crucified on that cross. He knows what it feels like to be in pain. I think that's why the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, he writes, Now, since children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death, he might destroy the one who the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. Friends, we have a God who understands suffering. Jesus does not only deal with the surface problem. He reaches beyond our suffering. He goes beyond and he takes out the root beyond our suffering. The, the, the root cause of it all, our sin. He deals with the real problem, the heart of the problem. And he paid the penalty for our sin on that cross. That's why he died. You see, he doesn't just provide a philosophical answer. Now, this is a topic that is debated. A lot of people debate and they give all these, you know, philosophical answers to it. But Jesus answers with his own blood. He came and he joined in the suffering. He went through hell for us. He was forsaken so that we can be accepted by God. So that relationship which we broke, as we read in Genesis 3, can be reestablished again. Friends, during our time of pain, our time of suffering, our time of grief, it is good to remember these things. And there's no other place to look to than the cross. For it is on that cross where Jesus deals with our problem of pain. But again, you can ask me, well, I hear what you're saying. It makes sense. But why do, am I still going through suffering now? What do I do with my pain now? And I'll finish by saying a few things about that. How does this help us as we face pain now, as we live in grief now? What does this mean to me now? The first thing I want to say is, 
consider your response to Jesus. Because friends, if Jesus is God's answer to the problem of suffering, if Jesus is God's answer to our problem of sin, it means you and I need to think hard about how we respond to Jesus. If we reject Jesus, we are rejecting the only solution that has been given to man to escape suffering. If we reject Jesus, the sad news is we'll suffer now and we'll still suffer again in eternity. If you haven't considered where you stand with Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. Or just take the Bible and read the stories of Jesus' life, what he said, what he claimed, and see for yourselves and consider how you want to respond to him. Or talk to someone, lots of people at church would like to talk to you. And the other thing I want to say today is, do not waste your suffering. It's probably a bit strange. What do you mean? You see, suffering is hard. Suffering is painful. No one wants grief. We should all pray that God will save us and maybe, you know, remove suffering from our lives. But we know that one way or the other, it's going to come. So when God allows suffering to come, I want to say, don't waste it. See, let your suffering help you and I to see the severity of our sin. Let your suffering help you to hate sin because you see how bad it is and how it has led to the brokenness which you and I experience. Do you hate sin? John Piper said, no one wakes up furious and angry at the sin in their heart. But at times when pain comes, when something is wrong in our lives, we wake up and we are angry and we are grieving and we are not happy at life. And my prayer is that during those moments, we can actually go beyond and see how severe our sin is. And maybe to help us to appreciate more our Savior, Jesus. How else can you and I not waste our suffering? Let our suffering draw us close to God. Friends, God totally understands. God knows what it means to suffer. So in terms of suffering, let us not waste the opportunity. Let our suffering lead us to draw closer to God. Because many times in suffering, we, we don't know what to say before God. We don't know what to even what to pray. But I want to say to us, it's okay to cry to him. You see, the kids' talk here was amazing. Toby running and falling and running to the trainer. In our times of pain and deep grief, even when you are stumbling to put out the words, run and stumble before Jesus. Don't go away from him. He is God's solution. He is the best place you can ever turn to. Go to him. In the book of Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that even when we don't know exactly the right words to say, the Holy Spirit helps us in our pain and grief to express to God what we are going through. Or you could open the book of Psalms, where the psalmist writes and expresses his pain and his grief and his questions to God. You could use one of those to express yourself to God. So in these times of pain, draw close to God. Don't run away from God. Draw near to him with confidence. Because we know 
He has gone through suffering. He knows what it is like. And in our suffering, we can also not waste it by letting our suffering help us to long for heaven. Let our suffering help us to long for heaven. Well, the Bible tells us that there is a day coming when God is going to end all suffering for those who have trusted in him. You see, Jesus dying on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is not the last word we have in the Bible. We know that he came back to life. We know that he's seated with the Father reigning. And we know that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to take all those who have trusted in him. And they will experience a world that is restored. A world that is without pain and suffering. John saw this. He saw this in a vision. And he records it in Revelation 21. And I'm going to read that for us. So Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for a husband. Then I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne. Look, God is dwelling with humanity and he, is, he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. The cross is not the last word. After conquering sin, Jesus' word now is, look, I'm making everything new. How good is that, friends, to hear? God is restoring everything in his son, Jesus. Hallelujah. I know here we don't know that. Back where I come from, if I say hallelujah, the congregation goes, Amen. Hallelujah is praise God. We need to praise him, friends, for his, he deserves to be praised. Let us pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you are a great God who does what no other God can do. You are the only God, for you are the one who came into our world. You participated, Father, in our suffering. Your son suffered the most. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here and myself that as we go through the pains and the suffering and the grief of this world, may we be reminded of, of the cross. And Father, may we please see and long for that time to come when everything will be made new. Amen.